I want to, uh, we're going to kind of take things a little bit differently because uh, I'm going to be able to share with you a little bit about our Generations Project, a very exciting, uh, exciting update that we have. Um, if you weren't with us uh, about this time last year, we talked about um, a Generations Project, which is the idea that we uh, were going to go and embark on some major renovations in our children's center uh, here next door in the, in the adjacent building. And we coupled that with the purchase of this land right across the road here on Ashland, Ashland Road. Now, this property that we're on right now is about a little over 12 acres, but that property over there is about 14 acres worth of land. And so we coupled these two things together. We entitled them our Generations Project. And so today what we want to do is give you a little bit of an update. Uh, we want to share some visuals with you and maybe uh, uh, cast a little bit of vision for the future as we look in long term. Um, and I'm going to be very upfront with you. Today what we're going to do is we're going to talk to everybody about how you can be a part of helping us fund that project, okay? So just know that's coming, okay? Um, but in all seriousness, um, we're very excited about all of this, very excited about how God is leading us. Um, this morning, before we get into things, I want to pray for you, um, and I want to be very selfish in this moment, and I'm going to ask that as I pray for you that you would pray for me, okay, for this reason. Um, this week, I have been horribly ill, okay, horribly ill, um, and so I'm lacking a little bit of energy and strength today, so I'm going to ask you to pray for that. The good news is, is that I have a newfound appreciation for the engineers that design toilet bowls. Um, <laughs> because as my head has been in a toilet bowl most of the week, I've been able, it's just, it's fascinating. It's really fascinating. I appreciate, you know, the ingenuity behind that. It, it really, um, it's, it's a special thing. So God bless you if you're a, a toilet bowl engineer. You're amazing. We all applaud you and thank you for that. Um, we'll have a recognition of you one Sunday as well, okay? Um, let's pray today. Father, we do come before you as the living God. And this moment, Lord, as it is every weekend and week out, these are holy moments. These are sacred assemblies where we gather together. Our hearts are joined together to worship. Our hearts are joined together to learn. But, Lord, even more than that, to be on journey together to set out on individual spiritual destinations, but destination as a church family, Lord, to discover where you're leading us and how you're leading us. And my prayer today is that you will help us to discern that in the years to come. As far as we speak of today, Lord, I want to pray for the people of God that are gathered here today, and I pray for the blessing of the Holy Spirit upon them. Just as Pastor prayed, I pray that we will all have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying and that you'll help us, Lord, as we go along this. And we are just so thrilled and thankful, Lord, to be a part of your kingdom. And so we bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. <clears throat> um, for a really long time, for decades, you have probably, well, I've heard for decades, maybe you've heard, you know, throughout the decades, um, a version of a story that, pastors often tell that talk about soldiers or mercenaries kind of in the medieval era. And through one circumstance or another, whether, you know, it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they're drawn to convert to Christianity to get their lives to Christ, or maybe it's, you know, they're just loyal to their emperor, and so they want to, you know, follow suit. And so they go to the church, and they ask the church 
what they have to do to be saved, and the church kind of gives them instruction. And then the church, um, oftentimes, especially in that era, uh, water baptism was an incredibly important um, symbolic thing, as it should be important. I'm just saying, not that it's not important today, because it is. But in that era, it was one of the most important things that would identify you as a Christian believer. And so uh, as these men would come, and they would, they would find faith in Christ, and they would want to convert, um, there kind of arose a problem as they approached the waters of baptism because the church took a stand that basically said that if your occupation involved certain things, that you could not be a member of the church. This was especially true with like the Greek Orthodox Church. And so there were so many people that wanted to be converted. They wanted to be a part of the church, but they weren't allowed to be a part of the church because of what their occupation entailed. And so for soldiers and mercenaries, these are men of war. These are men, even if they're fighting just wars, uh, they're still shedding blood. So they got blood on their hands. And so the church in this era, they said, no, absolutely, you cannot be a part of the church. And so you've got really, you know, military leaders who are really upset. You've got religious leaders that are staunch. And so they go and they begin having these negotiations about, well, can, you know, a person, you know, be water baptized and be a part of the church if they're a mercenary or a militaristic. And so ultimately they, they come to this compromise. And what happens is that as a priest welcomes a soldier or a mercenary into the pools of baptism, uh, legend has it that as the priest would say the sacred sayings that you're supposed to say as a person is about to be baptized, that as they go to immerse the soldier in the waters, that the soldier would unsheathe his sword and he would hold it high above his head. And as the priest dipped him in the water, everything would go under except for his sword. And this would appease the church because they got most of them baptized. This would uh, appease the military leaders because they, they believed that they were now a part of the church. So it appeased everybody on both sides. But what it ended up creating is a situation in a culture that basically propagated the idea that, God, you can have every part of me except for this. And let me tell you what, that'll preach, baby. That'll preach, right? Because the reality is every one of us, especially as we were young in faith, there were probably things that even when we were water baptized, it was like, Lord, you can have every part of me but my politics, right? Some of us are still living there, okay? But anyway, Lord, you can have every part of me but my work ethic or every part of me but how I raise my kids or every part. Of, I mean, just on and on and on, there's so many sermon illustrations that, I mean, that, that just, that's, it, it could go so many different ways. But in my experience, when I've heard preachers tell this story, the most common application they use is, honestly, it's kind of like to berate their people. And they basically would use this example and they would say, it's as, almost as if their church, that they have said, God, you can have every part of me except for my wallet, right? And I mean, it was just misused, it was abused and everything. And I thought about this story recently, and I took a step back and I thought about Christian life. Now, I've been at Christian life for 12 years, okay? You know what's funny about being a part of a legacy church like Christian life? 
I've been here for a dozen years, and I'm still considered kind of new. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> because we've got people that have been on staff here for like 47 years. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just, it's crazy. It's amazing, um, but it's one of those things. But I've been here for 12 years, and I took a step back, and I really just observed the landscape. I'm a part of the finance committee here at the church that, that helps steward the finance and everything. And I took a step back, and after 12 years, I thought to myself, in all honesty before the Lord, I thought that statement could never be made about the people of Christian Life Church. It couldn't be made of you. Now, I'm sure there may be a few people, okay, and that's between you and Jesus, but I'm saying, generally speaking, the people of Christian life, a statement like that could, could not be made. You know, you've heard our pastor say that we are what he calls a, a grace-giving church. And what he means by that is that not only are you incredibly faithful and you never have to be provoked, you know, in certain ways to give. You're, you're always giving. Is, it's always worshipful. It's always wholeheartedly. There aren't expectations once you give that you expect something. And it, it's nothing like that. It is a true grace for such a large body of believers to be able to give in such a way and operate with such a sense of humility and I believe that's what Christian life has upon us. And I, I'm just telling you, I've been, I've been a part of other churches. I'm just telling you, I'm so grateful for the people of God that he has assembled at this church. And so as I take a step back and I look at Christian life, and if there were a script written about how the people of Christian life give, um, it would not be that, okay? It would not be that story. But it, what it would be would be a situation that we find unfolding in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 29, okay? Now, here in a moment, we're going to read this, and it's going to be long, okay? I'm only going to read about 20 verses, but they're long verses. But I want to kind of tee it up for you so you understand the context of what's going on. David, at this point, King David, he's a very old man. I mean, he is within, within months of, of dying, his son Solomon is probably a teenager by this point, and David believes very confidently, the, the whole nation believes, that, that God has appointed Solomon, his son, to assume the throne once David dies, which is going to be a, you know, very, very soon. And so in chapter 28, what David does is he is basically making preparations for his son Solomon. So he's having conversations with Solomon. He's telling him who to kill and who to let live and what countries are really allies and which you got to look out for. I mean, it's this whole thing. And in the midst of this, David goes and he talks to the leaders of the nation and he explains to him, he says, listen, out of all these things that we're going to do, all the things that God is going to bless Solomon to do, the most important thing that God is going to lead Solomon to do is he's going to lead him to build a temple for the glory and the renown of God so that all nations of the planet will know that we are his. And so the Bible says that the Lord's hand was upon David as David began to draft this architectural plan for this new temple that he would not build, but his son Solomon would build. It was really an incredible thing. And so in chapter 29, all of these conversations have taken place, and all of a sudden they've come to the table, and they are ready to begin construction on this temple and this is what Scripture says regarding David and the people of Israel. Then King David said to the entire assembly, he said, My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. 
The work ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals, but it is for the Lord God himself. Using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for the building of the temple of my God. There is enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of iox and precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. And now because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction." This is in addition to the building materials I've already collected for his holy temple. I am donating more, get this, I am donating more than 112 tons of gold, 262 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the buildings and for the other gold and silver work that has to be done by craftsmen. Now then, who will follow my example And give offerings to the Lord today. Then the family leaders, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals and the captains of the army, and the king's administrative officers all gave willingly. For the construction of the temple of the Lord, they gave about 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 600 75 tons of bronze, these numbers are just mind-boggling, and 3,750 tons of iron. They also contributed numerous precious stones, which were deposited into the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jehiel, the descendant of Gershon. The people rejoiced over the offerings, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord, and King David was filled with joy. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, and this is David's powerful prayer. He says, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. O our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name, but who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give only what you gave us first, for we are here only for a moment, visitors and strangers in the land of our ancestors who were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. O Lord our God, even this material we have gathered to build the temple to honor your name comes from you alone. It all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you have examined our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know that I have done this with good motives, and I have watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. O Lord, the God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make your people always want to obey you. See to it that their love for you never changes, and give my son Solomon the wholehearted desire to obey all your commands, laws, and decrees and to do everything necessary to build this temple for which I have made these preparations. 
Then David said to the whole assembly, give praise to the Lord your God. And listen to this. And the entire assembly praised the Lord, the God of their ancestors. And they bowed low and knelt before the Lord and the king. Amen. Now, Israel is already under the Mosaic law at this point. And so the people of God are already tithing. We talked about this last week. The 10% that God requires of his people is an act of obedience to him. But the people additionally are also giving sacrifices. There are animal sacrifices that are happening. But then there's also a third element is what we're calling the free will offerings. And that's exactly what's happening here. It's a, it's a moment where the people of God, just out of the gratitude and the thankfulness of their own heart, they come and they say, Father, even unprovoked, I just come because I love you. I come because I love you. I bless you. I, I want to honor you with my giving. And so they would give sacrifices and they would give their offerings to the Lord. Sometimes it was, it was you know, encouraged in the way that, that we see here with David, but it was never mandatory, it was never required because it was something different than the tithe. It was something that God wanted additionally, but not to come up from a place that's based in law, but to come from a place that's based in love. And so David begins to talk to his people, and I want you to, I want you to, I want you to track with the brilliance of David's leadership. I mean, there's just no, when you read through the accounts of this man's life, there's, there's no doubt, there's, there's no question why God chose to raise this man up above all other men. Listen to what Scripture says. The Bible says that the first thing David does is David makes a kingdom contribution to this project. So what David is saying is he's saying, listen, this temple is not just about what I want. This temple is not just about what my administrators or, you know, the, the priests want. This temple is a national thing. This thing is about our entire kingdom and to put my money where my, my mouth is, to be able to solidify this so that my son Solomon can step in on solid footing and bring solidification to the kingdom, I am going to give an enormous treasure from the kingdom. But I'm not just going to use the treasure from the kingdom. I'm going to go dip into my personal stash. And the Bible says that he goes and he sets this example for the people and he goes and he gives this tremendous offering to the people. And, you know, we read through all the specific amounts that, that David gives. And I know that, that people say, well, you know, Jesus in Matthew 6, he said that we shouldn't, you know, we should, we should give in, in private, not let anybody know. And, and I get that, but you've got to understand motives always matter. And for David, this wasn't a, a, a matter of recognition for this man. David had more recognition than, than you know, he needed. Uh, he was fine in that regard. This wasn't about recognition for David. This was about leading by example for David. And listen to me say this. I know that there are all types of, of leadership philosophies, and I go to the leadership conferences and read the books, and, and, and I do all that, okay? I, I, I understand and I know that, and I know that you can lead by, you know, charisma or that you can be a visionary leader, or that you can be a domineering leader. There are all these different types of ways that people can lead. But can I tell you the most effective and, and efficient form of leadership is always and forever been to lead by example. And David does this with a powerful, powerful result. 
So David says, I'm going to give him the kingdom. I'm going to go into my personal reserve. And this is what the Bible says. All of a sudden, the Bible says that then the leaders began also making their contributions. The militaristic leaders, the tribal leaders, the administrators, the parents, the grandparents, all of these leaders all over the nation of Israel are following David's lead. And then sure enough, as it trickles from the top, all of a sudden we arrive at this place where it wasn't just the leaders of Israel giving, it was everybody in Israel giving. I mean, just a powerful lesson in the, in the gift of leadership right there from David. And so as the people give, David offers this powerful prayer, this powerful plea to the Lord that, that we just ran through. And all I want to do in, in, you know, a small part of our time together today is, is I want to just kind of break down that prayer because what I want us to, to better understand is not, you know, we don't just give for the sake of giving, you know what I mean? And, and I know that nobody does that. I'm just saying we, we want, if we ever slip into that mindset, we want to pull ourselves up out of that mindset. Because offering and tithe, all of these things, these things are incredibly layered. They are incredibly meaningful. They are incredibly deep. We, we you know, we, our Father in heaven is the giver of all things. Right? And like his, his DNA for giving runs through us spiritually. It's very ingrained in who we are. I mean, you think about God as the giver of life and creation, right? Then, then ultimately, you know, in the process of time, he gives his son and then he gives his spirit and then he gives his church and then he gives us gifts. I mean, it's just on and on and on. He is the giver of life. And so for us as his children, that is deeply ingrained in who we are as givers. And so it's important that we understand components about giving so that we're not just giving for the sake of giving, that we really understand that there is a greater level of meaning attached to all these things. That's, that's really what I'm after today, okay? And so... For instance, I want to I give you seven elements here just that we pull. There are other elements that are important when it comes to offerings, but there are seven elements that I want to pull from this prayer that I think are important for us to understand. So, for instance, number one in your notes. David acknowledges that offerings are for the Lord and for the Lord alone. Okay? Listen to what he says. He says, the temple Solomon will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself, right? So David, it's becoming very, very clear that David, as he is, you know, preparing this temple, as he is giving his offerings, that David isn't giving money to a bunch of architectural plans that are on his desk. That's not what this is about. David has engaged his imagination with his faith. And all of a sudden, David isn't just seeing, you know, a temple being erected. David is seeing the people's lives that are going to be changed by encountering Almighty God. They're going to see the nations in Solomon's life who respond to the people of Israel because of the glory of the temple of their God. David is engaging his imagination with his faith. And that's why there's such tremendous passion 
in his plea to the Lord because he understands that, Father, this is, this is solely for you. It's not about this. It's not about that. This is for you. And he engages in a really, really unique way. And, and listen to me. We, we, we all should be following this pattern of David, right? And, and not just in giving, okay? But let's take worship, for example. You know, we come in this house. This is, man, we are so gifted. We are so, God has poured out his blessing on our worship community. I mean, the teams and the people, like not just the teams, the individual people in those teams are so humble and so anointed and so gifted on so many levels. It's that we are so blessed at Christian Life to have this. But I'm going to tell you what, when I step into an atmosphere like this, I'm not stepping in, you know, to a room that has good music and, and sounds good and I'm looking up at, you know, super bright lights that are blinding me. That, that's not what it's about in that moment for me. I'm going to choose in this moment, I'm going to engage my imagination in my faith, and I'm not just stepping into a room, I'm stepping into the throne room. And I'm stepping into a place where Almighty God resides and his glory just reverberates in the atmosphere and there are living creatures and beings and angelic hosts that perpetually hit their faces as they continually worship God. And I'm imagining just being, I'm able to be a part of this. That's the engagement of, of faith and imagination. That's what it means to engage in moments like that. And that's exactly what David's doing. David has a vision that this temple is going to be incredible and he sees it all, but he also understands that this temple is for the Lord. Okay, so number two, David acknowledges that offerings are for something greater than himself. Okay. Now listen, David is an old man at this point. He's on the cusp of death, okay? David's feeling the way that I felt, you know, this last week, okay? On the cusp of death. Um, he's right there at the point. He understands that this temple has nothing to do with his reputation. He understands that this is not going to be considered David's temple, it's not going to have any of his, you know, fingerprints on it. This is going to be something that is focused on something greater than himself, which is the next generation. David has humbled himself, and he said, the Lord has already told me I can't build it, but my son Solomon, he will build it, and so I'm going to do everything in my power to put him in a place where he can do that. And perspective-wise, can I just say that our offerings should always be given with a mindset that is futuristic and far-reaching beyond our own lives. Listen to me. I, I'm still a relatively young man, but I'm going to tell you, I've got no interest in giving money, time, resources to anything that does not have eternal value or at least lasting value beyond my life. I have no interest whatsoever in it. You know, um, I read this last week where... Uh, Darla Moore, the, the Moore Business School, you know, down at, down at USC, that woman has given $75 million to the University of South Carolina, $10 million to Clemson University, which begs the question, whose side are you on, woman? Okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, it begs the question, though. It begs the question, why? Why would someone give $85 million to a school? 
And her answer is the same as my answer. Darla wants to make sure that whatever she's giving towards is going to be something that's sustainable for the generations that will live far after she's dead and gone. She wants to ensure that young women in South Carolina have the same opportunities to grow in higher education that she had when she was younger, but at an affordable rate-ish, okay? But her vision is not just about buying a fountain. Her vision is about creating something that's sustainable for the generations that are to come. And that's exactly what David is doing. And frankly, that's what I believe when we give, those should be part of the motives of our heart, something that's beyond our own lives. Number three, David acknowledges the need for a pure heart when giving offerings. Man, listen to the humility in this statement. But who am I and who are my people that we could give you anything? Anything. I mean, you realize, somebody texted me after first service and they said, did you realize that 112 tons of gold in today's uh, uh, monetary system would be the equivalent of $6.8 billion? Billion dollars. David gives that and he's like, but what can I give you? <laughs> I'm like, give, give me some, okay? Um, I mean, the humility that possesses this man, because listen to me, at this point in David's life, it's not about his recognition. It's not about buying the blessing of God, as some TV preachers will try to convince you of. This is not about, it's not about that. For David, it's about something far greater than that. Do you realize that the only thing that David doesn't mention when he's talking about these offerings, this whole, you know, this whole chapter, do you realize the only thing that he doesn't mention the only thing he doesn't consider is how God will respond by blessing his people. Isn't that interesting? Like out of all this, I mean, there's a lot of scripture that supports when you give, God will bless. When you, you know, I mean, there's, I mean, it's just riddled all throughout scripture. But for some reason in this grandiose moment where all of these people are gathered and, and he's praying, he has a, a moment to just say, hey man, and when you give, God's going to bless. You know that, that it, it's nowhere in his vocabulary. And the reason I think it's not in his vocabulary is because for David, it was not about the people being blessed. It was about the people being a blessing. And listen to me, I know that's a, that's a, like, that is a recalibration of mindset because we're taught that God will bless and God will bless, but that's never the motive for why we give. And so David just, just really prods and drives that home that we need to be people who give with a pure heart. Number four, very quickly, David acknowledges the past as he plans for the future. Man, David realizes, David realizes that the greatest sin one generation can make is to dismiss or ignore the generations that have gone before him. If you notice time and time again, two or three different times in this, David calls back to his ancestry. This is how we arrived here. This is how we arrived here. And Father, we're thankful for that and we acknowledge that. And so as we move into the future, will you bless and will you help? And let me just listen to me. Can I say this about the, the family at Christian Life? You realize that, that everything that, that we are able to experience today spiritually is in direct correlation to the people that have gone before us at this church. People you've never heard of. Pastor Rish, the founding pastor of this church, 
a very long time ago. Pastor Farrell, Pastor Clark, Pastor Honeycutt, Pastor Brown, Pastor Chitty, their wives, their children, their families, their congregations, their people that served their guts out so that we could bask in the glory of God in such a setting like this. We have built upon generations. You guys, people, somebody didn't show up one day and we have all this. That's not how it happened. And just as David acknowledges it, we acknowledge that as we move into futuristic plans and ideas and thoughts into a preferred future. Listen to me. It's, it's an incredible thing to consider, but for David, David recognizes their history. Listen to this. He recognizes their history while at the same time drawing plans for their future. And my friends, that's what a wise church does. And that's what we'll do as long as I have say in it. Number five is this. David acknowledges the people gave freely and wholeheartedly in their offerings. Number six, David acknowledges the joy that comes from giving their offerings. Second Corinthians 9 says this, each of you should give what you decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Listen to this, for God loves a, cheer, a cheerful giver. Okay? The wording behind cheerful giver, um, it, it can be translated in English to hilarity. Okay, it's the same type, that, that whole realm of words, hilarious, laughter, all, all this kind of stuff. And so what, what Paul's basically saying here, he's like, listen, dude, when you give, you should give with a pep in your step. You should give, like, I think I know what Paul, you know, he has a pretty good imagination on him, but I think what Paul has in mind is like just a bunch of, you know, you know, let's, let's go give to the Lord, you know, kind of thing. And like, it's, it's a moment of joy. It's not a moment of, oh, here we go again. Is Pastor Justin going to pray for the offering again? When are they going to show, why do they keep showing five easy ways to give again? No, it's like, hey, what is number four? I want to do number four. I've done the other ones. I want to try that one. It's a joy. And giving. People, but listen to me, the joy doesn't come until the disposition of the heart is freely and wholeheartedly. God, I'm not giving this to a church. I'm giving this to the Lord. And I'm giving it freely and I'm giving it wholeheartedly. And all of a sudden, the joy of the Lord all of a sudden comes. Then you get a little giggly. A little giggly. Have a little bit of fun. I knew a pastor one time that was at a, if I said the name of the church, you would know it. I'm talking 20,000 people at the church. And he started instructing his people during the offering time that when we begin to receive offering, I want you to begin to cheer. Even if you're not giving, just begin to cheer. And I was like, what the heck is wrong with this guy? Who would do that? You know, this, I thought when he first said that, I thought that sounds a little manipulative. But then when he began to explain it, he said, no. He said, I just want their faith to align with their actions. He said, they're already giving. Now I just want the joy of the Lord to come and be a part of it, right? Really powerful thing. Finally, number seven is this. Number seven, David acknowledges giving offerings is always tied to worship. If I had to summarize why we give offerings, this is how I would do it. I would say we give to meet the current needs of the kingdom, to meet the future needs of the kingdom, but most importantly, we give because we love him. Listen to me say this. 
These two things are vital, vital for the continuation of the kingdom of God that we give to the needs immediately and and long-term for coming generations. But you realize that we can do those two things without loving him. Man, that's that's a place I don't want to be, right? And so this is what David calls us to. And again, this is the picture when I take a step back and I'm like, what, what do the people of Christian life, what's it like when they get? That's kind of what I envision. First Chronicles 29 is kind of what I envision. Just a rallying of people who love the Lord, who just want to bless him, who want to give in really, really meaningful ways. So today what I want to do for the rest of our time, and we're going to try to end a little bit early, but what I want to do for the rest of our time is I want to talk to you about this, this generation's project. Um, before we jump into that, I want to I talk a little bit about where we've been over the past five or ten years. Okay, just very, very briefly, and, and uh, I just want us to have a little bit of perspective here. Um, on our website, you can go, our, the lady that does our digital uh, content stuff, Amanda Wood, she is just, she is phenomenal, and she created this um, annual ministry report. Um, we have a photo of it, but um, there's, there's a whole digital form that you can fill out, and basically what it is is this, um, this document where you can go through, and it just talks about all that God's done through us and through our people, through volunteering and through giving uh, over the past 12 months. It is so inspiring. It's so encouraging. I strongly encourage you to do that. Um, it's directly at our website. But let me, just, let me just hit a couple of things that over the past few years that our church has, has been able to be a part of. You realize that, that every single month that our church, aside from tithe, our church supports 100 missionaries and missions organizations all around the world. 100 that is an astounding feat, okay? Every year, well, excuse me, last year, our church gave $280,000 to missions around the world. You know what's crazy about that? That was a low year for us. Is that wild? Usually we're giving between three dollars and $400,000 a year to missions, Again, that's, that's completely aside from all these kind of things. Listen, that's just based on what you give as a people. These missionaries, the fruit that they're seeing, the, sows, the, the seeds that they're sowing, all of this is in direct correlation to every penny and every dollar that we are able to provide for the missionaries. There are hundreds of children in Columbia, in the greater Columbia area, that have benefited from things like our giving tree, our, our Because of Love ministry that deals with foster care and adoption. We have incredible committees that help lead these things. Hundreds of children. Although it's not absolutely life-changing for these children, we have incrementally been able to bless their lives and to let them know that God cares for them, even if they are in an orphan state. I mean, just incredible things like this. We, we have Arrows Academy, which is like, you know, uh, well, things have changed a little bit this year. We still have them here, but they've, they've split their elementary, middle school, and high school and all that. But, you know, there, there were years we'd have four, 500 students that were on this campus three days a week gaining Christian education. Listen to me. You realize that that's not just something we can do without the faithfulness of God's people giving. You realize that, right? Have you, if you've ever had children... Do you know how often a kid flushes a toilet? I'm serious. My youngest is going through potty training right now. It is horrendous, okay? She almost flushes her toilet every 12 seconds. I'm like, stop, right? 
Yeah, 500 of them here, three days a week, just flushing. It's like that's all they do. They're not even going to class. They're just flushing toilets. <laughs> Listen to me. Listen, that costs money. That's the sewage bill to keep the electricity on, to run printers and copiers and to do all these things. And listen to me, that doesn't just happen. That happens because of the faithfulness of God's people. The ability that we've been able to have, listen to me, you realize last year we had like over 500 people in a church our size to have 500 people as a part of our life group's ministry. Do you know how, in, do you know how huge that is? for people to be ministered to and discipled and to grow relationally and spiritually. Listen to me. You got to turn the lights on somehow. And those things only happen because of the faithfulness of God's people. I mean, just on and on again, I could keep going. The projects we've been a part of years ago, we renovated Brown Chapel, which, thank you, Jesus. Imagine trying to have a youth service with the red carpet in there. It was, it was rough. That was my first two years. It was rough. And all the teenagers said, amen. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we did tremendous renovation, like $300,000 to renovate this stuff. And it's paid for the parking lot. And I know you say, man, why would we pay the, that's not, that's just aesthetics and all this stuff. Well, listen to me. If you've never broken ankle walking through the mud holes out here in the back, you can't appreciate it. Okay. But if you did break an ankle, you do appreciate it. Listen to me. It was half a million dollars to pave our parking lot, but we did it and we paid for it and it's done. Listen to me. That's what pastor means when he says you have the grace of giving. That when there are needs, there's a faithfulness that just exudes, but then on top of that, when a need presents itself, there's just, there's just a rallying. There's a rallying to meet the need. And so today I want to I wanna, I wanna rally you just one more time, okay? I, I'm kidding. This is one of many, many times coming down the road. All right. <laughs> We're going places, okay? People ask me all the time, they're like, you know, what's, what's, you know, with the transition in view and all this kind of stuff, what, what, what's your vision, you know, and all this kind of stuff? And I just tell them, I say, my vision is the same vision that it has been over the past few years that the only thing or the main thing that we are most concerned with is building godly generations. That, that's what we're most consumed with in this season of life. And for the foreseeable future, that will be what we continue to consume ourselves with. And as a part of that, last year, you know that we bought the 14 acres I told you about earlier. Um, and last year, we presented kind of this, this idea that, you know, we're going we're gonna to lump these two together and we're going we're gonna to try to pay them all down. And um, we are still trying to do that. Um, but this year, what we've decided we're going to do is we're going to intentionally kind of take the land project, paying off the land. We're going to kind of set that to the side, Okay. And what we're going to do is we're going to give a very intense, very intentional focus to the Children's Renovation Center. Um, this time next month, we will shut down the entire wing of the children's ministry next door. Okay, we're going to shut it down. And for the next four months, um, there's going to be um, a total overhaul of that facility there. Okay. Um, you will get information. We will communicate well over the next few weeks about, you know, where your children need to go and all this kind of stuff. We are going to be doing kids services in the Brown Chapel um, for the summer, but you'll get more information. You'll get all kind of details about that. But what we want to do this year is we want to kind of focus on this and go ahead and rid this so that then next year we can pivot and we can begin having discussions about the land. Okay. Now I know everybody is so curious. What about the land? What are we going to do? What is God saying? And I, I, I don't want to frustrate anybody in this moment, okay, because there's not a lot that I can say 
um, that would be responsible for me to say, okay? Uh, the pastor and I and the elders and the pastors, we, we have had a lot of discussions, and um, we believe that the Lord is kind of orchestrating some things for the land next door, and we think that uh, among some other things, we think that we may be able to have um, a type of uh, unique educational experience uh, for younger children at some point, and so um, we're leaning into that. Um, but the first thing that we got to do before we can lean into that is we got to take care of this. And so what we are doing is we're going to begin to focus on a number of things that really need to be overhauled in that building. That building was built in 1985, okay? I was five, okay? And I think that's the last time it's been touched, okay? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, so there are a lot of things that need to be, there are a lot of things that need to be taken care of cosmetically, but there are also some things safety-wise that, that need to be taken care of, okay? So I have some photos I want to show you. These are, these are drawings, these are renderings, okay? Let me give you a little bit of a disclaimer here. Uh, these are not the colors, per se, that we've decided on. If you don't like the door color, you know, Glenn at clcolumbia.com, he'll be fine. But... You know, we're, this is just a very generalized understanding of what we're going to be doing here. So we're going to be ripping out the waffle flooring, okay? If you, <laughs> there is a God. I got all kind of high fives. They're like, you're the man. It wasn't my idea, but I love it. During SESL days, and we would have probation for students because of whatever issues, Pastor Frank would take them in there, and they would peel up different, you know, pieces of the waffle flooring, and he would give them toothbrushes and toothpicks, and they just had to clean it. I mean, it was a disaster. It served a purpose. But uh, anyway, we are, we are moving away from that. We're going to gut that. We're going to stain concrete uh, these floors. Um, there are a lot of the, the AV system is, is not good, okay? It just needs a total uh, overhaul. Um, new stage. The bathrooms are going to be completely redone, uh, gutted everything. It's going to be <laughs> glorious. <laughs> bathrooms are important. I'm just saying. <laughs> Probably the, the most important, um, one of the most important things that we're going to be doing is you can see in the balcony area, uh, you can see the windows. These are plexi windows that, that kind of look and oversee. But if you look up, um, it's not really a closed ceiling. It's kind of open. It's very unique. I like the architectural design there. Um, but right now, if you've never been over to that room, if you, like, sneeze the wrong way, you're going to fall over through that, that balcony because it's just, <laughs> it's, not, it's not great, okay? Um, and so in order to secure safety and an environment where kids can do, but also in a place that's aesthetically pleasing, in a place where kids can feel welcome and decluttered and all of this kind of thing, um, that's, what, that's what the aim is, okay? Now, I told... Uh, Pastor Bella, by the way, Forrest and Forrest Burchett, if you're not, know who Forrest is, but he and his team have crushed, they've been working on this for over a year, okay? And they have destroyed, I mean, they are just, they are, they are incredible. They are absolutely incredible. I'm so thankful for their, their hard work, their work ethic, and uh, just want, to, want things done really, really well. Um, you know, right now, this room is used for, for all kind of things, life groups and Rangers and, you know, youth, life, I mean, just on and on and on, kids. I told Pastor Bella a couple weeks ago, I said, now, listen to me, sweetie, you've got to understand that once these renovations are done, that this is going to be the most used multi-purpose room on campus, okay, because everybody's going to want to be a part of it. So just kind of prepare yourself, okay, and she'll be fine. All right. <laughs> now, to do this, 
Well, let me just say this. To do this well, to do this the right way, where we're not going to have to come back in three or four years and say, oh, we got to refig, you know, whatever. To be able to do this well, it's going to cost money. Okay? Now, what we don't have to do for you, the people of Christian life, we don't have to give you these sob stories of, you know, how you need to give, and we don't need Pastor Bella to come with this montage video of, you know, how, um, you know, how desperately our children need, you know, this, this spiritual, you know, undergirding. We don't need to show you, you know, photos of these precious little children, like, begging for <laughs> money. Oh, my gosh. How did that get? That is so embarrassing. Um, sweet. Aubrey. For context, this was after I had just taught Aubrey about the, the project and the need and everything. And she was like, Daddy, I hope the people will give. I don't know how this got in there. I don't. I'm so... I am so embarrassed. Oh, my gosh. All right, yeah, let's take it down because. So we don't need to do any of that, okay? We just need to talk facts, right? So let me show you the numbers. The numbers for the total project, $375,000. That's a lot of money, okay? Now, the church family has already donated. You've already given uh, about $65,000 in the past year, okay, which is incredible, okay? So what the church is going to do is we're going to take $155,000 from savings. We're going to put it towards the project, which leaves us with a need of $155,000, okay? Now, I realize that there, there are some people, I want to leave this up for just one second, but I realize there are some people that are very much about, you know, let's pay the land off, let's pay the land, and, and I am all about that. If that is heavy in your heart, we don't want to discourage you from doing that whatsoever. You can still designate land, you know, on your giving or, or whatever the case is. It'll go straight to the land, everything. But we really want to get this thing paid off this year. We, I mean, we would love to get it paid off by August, Okay. We'll settle for December, okay? But we love to get it paid off by August so that when we have our grand reveal and our grand opening, that we can celebrate debt-free from that. Yeah. Amen? Okay? And so we, we really want to do that. The, the, the one thing that, that we would ask, okay, and I want to be delicate as I say this, but the one thing that we want to ask is we want to ask that you not give your tithe or your missions commitments to this project. Those commitments are committed, okay, and we don't want to touch that. This is something totally unique and totally different. Um, you know, there are times when, you know, we say things like, we always say, I've said it a hundred times, I hope you believe it by now, but we say this is the most gracious, generous, giving church, you know, in the world, and, and, and we emphatically believe that. I think sometimes there can be a misunderstanding, though, sometimes. And I, I think part of that misunderstanding is because, you know, this is such a generous and, and such a giving church that some people interpret that as, oh, well, everything's fine. Nobody, there are no needs. And what I want you to understand is that there are always needs. 
there are always needs. And so we don't want to take from the tide to get to a project like this because there are always going to be projects like this. L listen to me. In, in, in the future, this is what, this is what you're going to see happen. There may be times, you know, in the next, you know, 30 years where we embark on this enormous project where we are, you know, we, we need to raise millions of dollars or whatever the case is. That may happen. But I'll tell you the way I prefer stuff like that happen is through means like this where we take bite-sized chunks year by year or every other year or every three or four years and incrementally we grow so that in 10 years we can look back and say, look what God has done in the last 10 years. I mean, that's really what we're after in, in these things. And so just, just for clarification, that's why we ask, just make sure that your, your tithe stays your tithe, your mission stays your missions, but this is something totally, totally separate, okay? Now, we wanted to do something that uh, we wanted to develop a strategy so that everybody could give and everybody could be a part, okay? And when I say everybody, I mean everybody. And so what we've done, uh, when you walk out today or when you walked in, maybe you saw, on the exterior walls by the cafe and the Connection Center, you'll see two enormous boards that are similar to this, and then on these inner hallway walls, you'll see two more boards. And what we've done is we've numbered each of the envelopes, we've numbered them one through 365, and we've done that two or three times, okay? And the reason is, is because we wanted everybody to be able to give. You know, we didn't want to say, well, if you want to give, you got to give, you know, $2,700. We wanted to make it easy for everybody to give. And so we did it in bite-sized chunks. Um, and we did that many because that's how much it would require for us to raise $155,000. And so um, this is basically where we're at today, okay? We are asking the church family today to do two things. We're asking you to pray, and we're asking you to pick an envelope. We're asking you to pray, and we're asking you to pick an envelope. Actually, we're asking you to pray, and we're asking you to pick an envelope or seven, whichever you want to do, all right? Some of y'all could take a whole row, okay? I'm just saying. We're asking you to pray. We're asking you to pick, okay? But this is what our heart's desire is. Our heart's desire is that everybody and every family could be involved in something like this, okay? Now, we want you to give with the responsibility and we want you to give with faith, okay? Let me give you an example of what that does not look like. When one day you feel like you want to give $1,000 to a mission organization, and you only have $1,200 in the bank, your bills aren't paid, you give it anyway without telling your wife, who just totaled your car a couple weeks ago, and by the way, your spouse is not working, and you're only making $24,000 a year. That is not wisdom, okay? That is not responsibility. That was me, okay? That was me, but it was a bad decision to make, okay? So we are asking you as families to come together, to pray, discuss, to pick, but to give responsibly, but listen to me, to give responsibly, but with faith. You know, the element of faith, as we talked about last week, it, it can be so undersold. 
But I'm telling you, when you mix your faith when you're giving, something unique happens in the heavenlies. It's something very, very special. And so my family and I, Joy and I, we've talked. And so we're going to go ahead and we're going to take the two biggest numbers off the board for, for our family. Okay? Now, you and your family may have, you know, you will pray and decide what you want to do different, but I've taken two of the big ones off, so you don't even have to worry about that. That's great, okay? Now, the problem is, is that we also told our children that they could pick an envelope, okay? So this could get really interesting. We have five children, okay, and a son-in-law, and a grandbaby on the way, okay? It could get really out of hand for us. So this is our strategy. We picked what we felt like God called us to pick uh, individually, uh, and so our strategy for our children is to, like, hold them and say, pick any envelope that you want, any envelope that you want in this area. And they can have whatever envelope they want. That's our strategy. That's our faith mixed with responsibility. All right? Now, for you high rollers, let me talk to you for a second. I got some special envelopes up here for you. I got a $1,000, a $5,000, a $10,000 envelope, and I dipped them in glitter just for you. <laughs> All right? I'm just saying, I don't want anybody to feel left out. All right? So, that's what we're asking you to do today. Because I'm going to tell you what. It's a, it's a really powerful thing to pull up on this campus or to see these little ones go under the waters of baptism and come up or to see students that are radically worshiping our Heavenly Father. Like, it's something to be able to see that and to say, I am vested in that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have a part in that. And in the kingdom of heaven, I promise you that God will see to it. The greatest accountant of all, he will see to it that you have part in that in your eternal reward. And it's a, man, it's an incredible thing to say, you know, Jesus said, where, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. It's awesome to pull up on this campus and say, that's where my, that's where my heart is. My, my treasure's invested here. It's an awesome thing. And man, I just, I, I, wanna, I wanna plead with you today to be, to be a part of what God's doing here. We're gonna do it. I mean, we're gonna do it. It, I mean, it's not, it's not really a question at this point. Uh, all the, all the, the wheels are already in motion. But when I say we're going to do it, I mean we're going to get this thing paid off. And it's going to be awesome. And listen to me, we're going to do it for the glory of God. And we're going to do it for the good of our kids. Amen.